Buddhism um, often talks about how what a rare and unique opportunity it is to be born into the form of a human being. And um, having no memory of what it might like be to be a worm, <laughs> I, uh, um, I do appreciate uh, living this life as a human being, um, even though it has its ups and downs. And um, even more rare is the, um, when uh, human beings come together to practice Zazen. Extremely rare. Um, so, um, just um, do not underestimate the what uh, the um, amazing power that brings you all here today. It's, uh, it's, it's uh, not many people do this. Sit in silence and sit in silence with others. <clears throat> and um, like the last line of this, uh, the poem we just read, faith in mind or trust in mind, um, it is neither of the past, present nor future. So we're wanting to liberate ourselves from time. Mind exists in time. That's our thinking mind. The, uh, it's, um, its energy or its fuel comes from time. <clears throat> and um, we'll really struggle hard and resist um, entering the, the timeless. So what happens when we enter the timeless is the uh, the mind has a little death, doesn't like that. I was speaking to somebody yesterday um, who had a um, someone who's had a lot of trauma in their lives, and uh, I would often. Uh, this person would often find themselves in the, in the depths of despair. And um, something unusual happened a few weeks ago. And um, she was telling me about it. And she said, I started to feel something <laughs> and um, this feeling started off as a very subtle thing then it grew into a feeling of warmth and um, it kept on growing and all of a sudden she had this really wonderful entry you know the, the, the door into non-separateness opened for her and uh, she was filled with warmth and radiance and acceptance of herself for the first time in maybe forever. <laughs> um, 
as a very profound and still was happening for her. Um, and uh, she noticed as that inner transformation took place within herself that uh, the people around her started to relate to her differently as well. And, um, and the people that she found really hard to tolerate, uh, when her judgments of those people fell away, that uh, she was able to be with them and just listen and in a quite different way. And uh, this was not the result of any real, you know, formal meditation practice. And it's often, um, you do come across these stories of um, people who are uh, in, in profound depression or despair. And I think for this person and for others, I think what opened that door for her was this, this sense of her surrendering to that despair, to stop struggling with it. And uh, in that moment, a door, a door opened when she stopped resisting or struggling and just surrendered to that experience. So the, the, the doorways into this, this, this non-dual reality um, uh, are often the, the times when we, the moments when we, we, we feel that everything is, is wrong or everything is uh, not working or in the middle of anxiety or depression or fear. These can be the doorways that can open, that can lead us to the other side. <laughs> Going to, um, I'm going to start, I guess, for, for this second half of this year, I mentioned um, we'll start to discuss um, what in Buddhism is referred to as, in Zen Buddhism is referred to as precepts. Uh, and just to start that, this conversation today, um, um, we could say that maybe one of the questions we can hold is um, in terms of an ongoing inquiry or conversation for this second half of the year is um, how to live a life of purpose and meaning and uh, how to conduct ourselves and uh, and how to um, um, contemplate such questions as how do we live a, ha a life of no harm um, no harm to ourselves or no harm to others and um, you know, how do we become? How do we become a an oasis of, uh, or a center of uh, of compassion and sanity in a world that's quite insane and crazy and violent? And how can we do that within within ourselves and uh, <clears throat> and bring that opening into the world, which uh, so desperately needs it. And uh, um, I was talking to someone else yesterday, and uh, 
we were having, a, she was having, a, um, exploring existentialism, and um, it remind it reminded me of when I was, uh, in, when I was about seventeen, eighteen, nineteen. I went through my existentialist phase, and. Um, There was um, um, those big questions when you're, and it doesn't matter what age you are too, you know, you could be a teenager, 16, 17, usually about 17, starts, and um, I have one young, young fellow I see who's, who's 19 and, and uh, you know, struggling with these questions, which is quite common, both, but, but it can also be at a later age as well about the meaning of life or what's the point or what's the purpose. There's no intrinsic meaning to life. And he said, yeah, I'm a nihilist. I don't believe in anything. And um, this is a crazy world and I don't want to work. And what's the point? And, um, and uh, this, this is often a, a common presentation that you might get from uh, young people and especially when they start to think about the world and um, and I was no different when I was that age too I would uh, went into the, uh, the pits of despair and my parents sent me to see a psychiatrist and had a good chat with the psychiatrist about existentialism and we were okay we got on well <laughs> um, one of the um, existentialist philosophers and writers I, um, I got into and quite liked at the time, maybe some of you have read him or heard of him, was a, uh, a French uh, uh, philosopher called Albert Camus. Mm -hmm. And I think I, I liked Camus because he was a little bit more accessible than uh, Sartre or Heidegger or Kierkegaard or Nietzsche, some of the other sort of existentialists. He wrote in a sort of more accessible language, and he was a novelist as well as an essayist, and um, a playwright as well. Uh, and um, one of the first books I read of his was one called *Last Stranger or The Outsider, um, which is a, a, a novel about a, a man who, who I guess, uh, kind of like popularized this notion of that sense of being an outsider. But, you know, on reflection, I'm also wondering about um, how much he may have been a stranger to himself as well. But um, I haven't read that for a while. But I was, um, what came to my mind was another book he wrote um, and uh, called The Myth of Sisyphus. And um, this, was, this was a book in which he, it was an essay um, where he basically um, addressed the question of if there is no inherent meaning or purpose in life, then uh, why live? You know, why not kill oneself? And there's an essay on that. And he, he came to an affirmative conclusion at the end that life was worth living. But um, and, I, and I think how he how he gets to that is maybe not too dissimilar to how we get to that in Zen. Um, but um, without going into that, I wanted to actually just say, uh, give a bit of a Zen commentary on the story of Sisyphus rather than an existentialist commentary on it. Um, 
And so the, the, the myth, uh, the, the, uh, the, the Greek myth, um, <clears throat> Sisyphus um, is uh, very um, um, resistant to this notion of death. He doesn't want to die. <laughs> Who does? And um, so he, uh, he enchains death, ties death up. <laughs> you know, there's some of these Greek stories, they're great, aren't they? And, um, but eventually, uh, death escapes and uh, pursues him. <laughs> and uh, so he, he ends up in, in Hades, the sort of Greek place where you go to when you die. But he escapes from Hades as well. He's determined not to die. He just doesn't want to accept death. And um, so eventually the gods catch him and say, okay, how, can we, how can we teach this guy a lesson? <laughs> and uh, so some of you will know. He's, so the punishment that he's given is he has to roll this uh, boulder up a mountain uh, for the rest of eternity. And I know as Zen practitioners, we know that eternity doesn't mean endless time. It's the, it means timelessness. But in, this, in the context of this story, eternity is forever. Uh, so the, his punishment is to push this boulder up the hill forever. <clears throat> and um, so I want to give a, 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 say a few Zen things about that because it's a nice metaphor, I think, for situation where many of us find ourselves. Uh, so let, let's assume that, um, you know, Sisyphus is a strong man, so like uh, pushing the boulder up the hill is not so much of an issue in terms of his physical strength, it's not a problem. It's, it's more of the psychological torment, and, uh, and I guess this is where the teaching is. So, you know, as we, as we know, as we chant in our, in our practice principles, you know, life is the great teacher. So what's the teaching that Sisyphus receives uh, through this process? And um, so just, just one observation, one way of, 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 of seeing that from a Zen point of view would be um, we can take the boulder and, the, and the, the task of pushing it up the hill um, as a way in which we... Uh, the boulder could symbolize problems of any kind. It could symbolize uh, 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 difficult uh, moods. Um, it could symbolize uh, the kinds of beliefs that we often get caught in, such as, I can't do this, or, this is too hard just don't want to be here anymore. And, um, and so, you know, if this is our life, to push this boulder up the, up the mountain, then if I was Sisyphus, and um, if I was saying to myself, oh my God, I can't do this. This is awful. I'm going to have to be doing this for the rest of my life. How would you feel? So, um, we often 
at these moments of, of dark despair, it's not so much necessarily, it's, it's our story or our way or our judgment about our situation or the beliefs that we get caught in that generate the, the, the suffering. So Sisyphus is going to really suffer a lot um, if he gets caught in uh, all the infinite ways in which he could resist that task. As long as he's resisting, pushing that boulder up the hill, he's going to suffer and suffer. So, what's the alternative? To look at the view from the mountain rather than focusing on the stone. Yeah, that's one good <laughs> alternative. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I think uh, that was one of the uh, the readings of Camus as well in the story. That uh, Camus was really curious about the trip down the mountain. Uh, before re-engaging with the task of pushing. Yeah. So there is the opportunity of um, taking in the view, <laughs> and enjoying the, the flowers or whatever. Yeah, absolutely. Anything else? Just to accept it. Yeah. yeah. How do we bring acceptance to it? We, we just come back to this now. Yeah. And... Um, as long as I'm just pushing that boulder, that's okay. I'm just pushing the boulder. And um, as long as I'm doing that, I'm not going to suffer that much. And um, so I just become one with pushing the boulder. <clears throat> and uh, then, yeah, coming down the mountain, I can enjoy that as well. So that's, the, that's you know, as a... Our friend Eckhart Tolle said, that's the power of now. <laughs> to um, whenever we find ourselves um, suffering, psychologically suffering, just remind yourself, just now. Just come back to right now. And uh, disengage as best we can with the belief or the story that we're caught into and just right now. So these two, these two, in Zen, this, this resistance and surrender, very important, or, or acceptance. It's the sense in which whenever we are resisting at this moment, we're usually caught in some kind of story, thought, judgment. And, uh, and resistance is suffering. And uh, when we can surrender uh, to the moment, that's when we're becoming one with the task in front of us. And uh, when we practice Zazen, we're, uh, we're becoming one with sitting. And that's the what's called Samadhi in Zen practice, becoming one. And, uh, and uh, when we become one, there's no gap. But as soon as we get caught in the the judging and the commentary about what's going on, the gap comes up, the separateness comes up. But when we can, we're trying to close the gap, and it's when that gap closes, that's when the door opens. That's where the freedom is. So, um, 
what we practice on our, in our sitting when we're doing our formal practice um, will gradually start to seep into uh, our everyday life and um, we'll start to recognize when the gaps come up, when we're separate, when we're caught in our story, uh, how tragic and meaningless our life is. And as soon as we get caught in that, whatever version of that it might be, just come back to just being right now, one with this. And um, and then we, we, we're laying down the conditions moment by moment and you never know, that door might just ooh, swing open for you. In a little way even, or a big way, who knows. So, um, please enjoy pushing the boulder up the hill. <laughs> <laughs>